my dad was it was i mean i don't remember many weeks where i wasn't beaten three or four times a week i remember sitting in a car and i knew exactly how far his arm length was if i was in the front seat and i could lean against the glass so that his hand couldn't reach me pain so deep that i can hardly just keep my eyes completely fixed on you bart millard is lead singer of the band mercy me and his story is the subject of a new movie i can only imagine a movie that was number three at the box office its opening weekend which stunned many who watch hollywood Bart is our guest on this episode of GPS, God, People, Stories. I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. There is so much to the story of God's work in Bart's life that we're going to share it over two episodes of GPS. In this episode, Bart tells the story of his life from childhood through the writing of Mercy Me's huge hit, I Can Only Imagine. That song is about trying to imagine what someone experiences when they enter heaven. And you'll hear insight from Billy Graham on that very subject a little later in this episode. Think of a place where there will be no sorrow and no parting, no pain, no sickness, no death, no quarrels, no misunderstandings, no sins, and no tears. The Bible says that's the way heaven is going to be. You can secure your place in heaven right now by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. We can tell you more at this website, findpeacewithgod.net. That's findpeacewithgod.net. GPS. God. People. Stories. My parents divorced when I was three. Um, and then um, my mom uh, uh, remarried when I was, she remarried a couple of times. Mrs. Millard left her husband, Arthur, because he had become abusive, but very few people knew about that abuse. At first, Bart and his older brother lived with their mom, who was battling severe depression and taking Valium for a medical condition. As a result, she often didn't even get out of bed. I remember my brother and I walking, and I'm, I'm three, four, five years old, walking to Taco Bell to feed ourselves. And uh, my brother would have been like eight, nine years old. About a year after the divorce, Bart's mom married another abusive man. That marriage lasted about three months. Then she married again. He wasn't abusive, but his job transferred him from Bart's hometown of Greenville, Texas, to San Antonio. The boys went to live with their dad. And I think genuinely she, her plan was to come back and get me, like get settled. And, and we're not going to pull you out of school in the middle of the year. I'm going to get you. And, and the reason I believe it, because I, I remember her wanting to come get me. And as bad as the abuse was, I, I, I didn't want to leave my brother. I didn't want to leave. And for whatever reason, she gave me the choice. My brother, there's no way he was going to move because he was in that years of his friends and stuff. And I just wanted to stay with him. He was my one source of safety, was my older brother. If home's where my heart is, then I'm out of place. Lord, won't you give me strength to make it through somehow? Never been more Bart says he was the target of his dad's abuse far more than his brother was. And he thinks one reason for that might be that he was born after his dad was in a very serious accident. He went and started working for a construction site, like, you know, you know like uh, those guys that flag traffic through the construction sites. He started there and he got hit by a diesel, launched like 50 feet in the air. But uh, didn't break a bone in his body because of 
you know, he's a big dude, but he went into a coma for about eight weeks, about, I think, three or four years before I was born. And, um, and my mom said he was a teddy bear, the sweetest guy ever. And then after that accident, when he came out of the coma, he, um, he was a monster. Like, that took 12 people to hold him down. He would start, like, catcalling and, you know, real perverted to the nurses. Like, she goes, I did not, not know who that person was. In addition to the construction accident, Bart's dad also took a lot of blows to the head when he played college football. And Bart wonders if both factors led to his dad's violence. I don't remember many weeks where I wasn't beaten three or four times a week. Um, I remember sitting in a car and I knew exactly how far his arm length was if I was in the front seat and I could lean against the glass so that his hand couldn't reach me. Because he would like if somebody cut him off, he'd punch me or in the chest or swing over and hit me. And it was like. It was such a, like, I mean, you wouldn't even think about it. And uh, if he was embarrassed at a restaurant, I knew that I was going to, I was going to pay for it when we got home. And it's not, I'm not even saying embarrassing. Like I did something embarrassing. Like if the waitress or somebody said something or whatever, if he spilt a drink embarrassed, I would, I would take it. I mean, it was like, you would think, and he, you would think he was like, you hear stories of like alcoholic stuff like this. My dad never drank a drop, no substance abuse or whatever. The worst beating Bart ever got was when he was in the fifth grade. He says he usually had terrible grades, but this one time, he made honor roll. If you made honor roll, they had some kind of little, little fifth grade ceremony. So I had to take a letter home, and your parents had to sign it saying, we'll, we'll, we've seen it, and we're going to come, right? Well, everything scared me so bad that I forged my honor roll letter. Like, I was like, I was so afraid. I just didn't know. And I remember taking it back. Obviously, it's a fifth grader trying to forge it, so it wasn't done well. And uh, and the teachers thought it was cute. And so they called my dad and said, isn't this so funny that he thought he had to forge it? Bless his heart. It's such a good thing. Well, that embarrassed my dad so badly that it was the worst beating I'd ever taken to where I remember sleeping on my stomach because from the back of my neck all the way to the back of my knees was black and blue. And it hurt so bad to lay on my back. There were good times for Bart and his dad, though. For example, at holidays when family came around, Bart says his dad was funny and outgoing. Bart said he was like the dad I always wanted. And those aren't the only good childhood memories Bart has of his dad. My dad would always, whenever he would, you know, hit me or whatever, about an hour afterwards, he would always, I mean, I mean, and I'm not kidding when I say he would always feel remorse. Um, and, and I do believe looking back, part of it was as something that he literally couldn't control. Like so there was some kind of brain damage taking place and he'd find remorse and he would call me in and he would, and he would, I know it sounds crazy, but he would genuinely, he would apologize for what he'd done. And then we'd sit on the couch or I'd lay my head in his lap or we'd, and we'd watch TV. And those are like the sweetest moments of my childhood, but they are always after the worst moments of my childhood. The most important moment of Bart's childhood was when he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Uh, I came to know Christ when I was 13 in Glorieta, New Mexico, at a church camp. Uh, I say that. I, I walked the aisle about 800 times when I was a kid because you know, every time I was like, I just want to make sure, I want to make sure. But I think at a 13 was when I, I truly, for me anyway, understood what was taking place. You know, I mean, that was when I realized that, man, something's missing and uh 
and I could really see, cause I really, I always thought of God as my refuge and like as a kid when I was getting beaten, but 13 was like, I don't know if I've ever been able to remotely comprehend it like I do now. So I've always said it was 13. Church was a huge part of Bart's life. He says it literally raised him and the youth group saved his life. And a church secretary played an instrumental part in Bart's future career. When school would let out, I would go to church and I would I'd go into this big empty sanctuary and I would and I knew my dad would get off about five or six. And so I'd go to the church and I would sing in this empty sanctuary for hours just because I loved how it sounded. And these church people never would bother me. They let me stay as long as I wanted to. I had one church secretary would literally, I found out as an adult, she was always there. Like at, at six o'clock, I would, my grandmother would come get me or whatever. I'd go, or I'd walk home. And she was always there. And I thought, man, this works out great. Well, she would get off at four o'clock. And she, she told me as an adult, like, I stayed because you were still singing every night. And I would lock up for you. And I can feel your presence here. Another woman who played a big part in Bart's singing career was his high school choir teacher. The only reason he was in her class was because he broke both of his ankles in football practice and couldn't play anymore. So the only class left open was choir. One day, his choir teacher heard him singing in the church sanctuary. And she was like, you, you can sing. And, 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 uh, and I was like, no, no, I can't, I can't. And then she ended up, like, reluctantly in my part, she casted me like as the lead in Oklahoma musical. And, uh, and, and she would, and she literally was like single-handedly the person that, that convinced me that I had a gift. If it wasn't for her, I promise you, I would not be singing today at all. So Bart wouldn't be singing today if it wasn't for Miss Finch and his band wouldn't be called Mercy Me if it wasn't for his grandmother, his dad's mom. I told her I was going to start a band and quit college and said, well, mercy me, why don't you get a real job? And I was like, well, we got the band name. It's perfect. Bart's grandma outlived her son. He was diagnosed with cancer when Bart was a teenager, and Arthur Miller soon began yielding his life totally to Jesus Christ. I'd hear him praying for my brother and my mom out loud in the next room. I'm like, what is happening? And and it was over eight. He was diagnosed with cancer as a freshman in high school. He passed away as a freshman in college. So... In that four or five year period, uh, probably the last two and a half, three years is when it really, you know, I mean, God was doing a work in him, but, you know, just if he, I'd hear him praying each night. He would fall, fall asleep with his face in the word every night. And I was like, I didn't know we owned a Bible in the house. Bart's quick to point out that he had nothing to do with his dad's transformation. In fact, I didn't want grace to be for him, to be quite honest with you. Like, you know, it was just I, I was so hurt and bitter. And that would change, though. The visiting nurse who had been taking care of Bart's dad in the evenings was killed in a car accident. So Bart learned how to administer his dad's nightly IV meds. So my job every night, I'm not kidding, for about two years was he had this medicine that had to be put in his IV. And it took, I literally took about two hours to push it through. It was like caulk. It was so thick. And so every night, my junior and senior year of high school, when teenagers, the last thing I want to do is sit at home. I would come home and sit there and push this medicine through his IV. So we would stay up and talk 
every night for at least two hours for those two formidable years of my life about everything, about who I should and shouldn't be dating, what's going to happen after my dad's gone, and everything in between. So that's when I realized this man is completely different. Not only was he like transformed and just compassionate, the way he was pouring into me with the word of God, I was like, how can you possibly know this? And that's when I realized that there were years of him just being in the word on a nightly basis when I just didn't pay attention. Bart's dad died in 1991. When he passed away my freshman year in college, um, leaving the gravesite, my grandmother said, I can only imagine what your dad's doing or seeing right now. And uh, I became obsessed with that that idea of, of heaven. And it wasn't that I was super spiritual. I was, I was a Christian and going to church stuff, but it was more like this OCD kind of, I became obsessed with heaven and him being whole because it was easier than looking at an empty bedroom. And, uh, and so it kind of became a tick for me. Like just, I would write, I can imagine down everything, get my hands on. And, you know, if I was on hold on the phone, like if I was, if I had a pen in my hand and I was doing this interview, I'd be writing that down or just doodling that. A few years later, Mercy Me needed one more song for an independent album they were putting together called The Worship Project. So I'd go to start looking for a blank page in all my journals, just trying to start writing lyrics. And every page in all three of my journals has, I can imagine, written all over it. I couldn't find an empty page. At first, I was frustrated. Then I realized, okay, God, I get it, and, and ended up writing. You know, it took me about ten minutes to write at the time, but it had been in my heart for quite some time, just obsessing over what it could possibly be like. Wrote the song, and and um, we knew it was special. I knew it was special to me, but I had no idea what was about to take place, and feel like I've been hanging on for the ride ever since. I can only imagine what it will be like. When I walk by your side, I can only imagine. The Worship Project was released in 1999, but I Can Only Imagine didn't become a hit until it was re-recorded and included on the band's first major label album, Almost There. That album was released in 2001, and I Can Only Imagine was Mercy Me's debut single. To date, 2.5 million copies of the song have been sold. It is the best-selling Christian single of all time. It was especially popular, even on secular radio, after the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001. I have no clue why God saw fit to, to, for it to go this way. Um, you know, I think people ask, what's so special about the song? Man, I think back then timing was special after 9-11. I think that there's no agenda in the song. I'm asking the same questions that anybody with a brain would ask. Like, God, one, like for some people, non-believers, they're like, man, I've wondered a million times, God, if you're real, what in the world am I about to see? What am I, how am I going to react? And and so I'm not trying to shove anything down anybody's throat. It's just saying, God, man, if, if I see you and I'm walking with you and this all turns out to be legit and real, 
what in the world am I going to do? And I, I think that's a non-threatening way to talk about Jesus, you know? And so maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Bart Miller knows his dad is in heaven because his dad surrendered his life to Jesus before he died. That's the only way you can get to heaven. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Where do you stand with that relationship? If you're not sure, we can help. Visit us at findpeacewithgod.net. That is also a great site to use if you want to grow deeper in your faith. The address again is findpeacewithgod.net. We told you a little bit about Bart's mom at the beginning of this episode, and you'll hear more about her and their relationship in the next episode. But in just a minute, Bart's going to talk about another woman who was an important part of his dad's life before he died. You're listening to GPS, God, People, Stories, a podcast production of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Our permanent home is not here on earth. Our permanent home is heaven. Billy Graham. Sometimes when things do not go right down here, we get homesick for heaven. Many times in the midst of the sin, suffering, and sorrow of this life, there's the tug of our soul. That's homesickness, coupled with anticipation. Some of you that are lying on a hospital bed today, some of you that are in a mental institution, some of you that are suffering from some terrible disease or financial loss or bereavement, there's a tug in your heart. You're longing for home. You're longing for heaven. Think of a place where there will be no sorrow and no parting, no pain, no sickness, no death, no quarrels, no misunderstandings, no sins, and no tears. The Bible says that's the way heaven is going to be. Another thing that will make God's house a happy home is the fact that Christ will be there. He will be the center of heaven. To him all hearts will turn, and upon him all eyes will rest. You can receive Christ in a moment. Renounce your sins. Turn by faith to him, and you can know with certainty and assurance that if you died this moment, you would go straight to heaven. You can accept him now. Billy Graham preached that message in February of 1955. In February of 2018, he went to heaven. We still have hundreds of his messages, and you can listen to them at the Billy Graham Audio Archives. All you have to do is go to BillyGrahamRadio.org. The messages are absolutely free. You don't even need to register. They're yours for the listening. BillyGrahamRadio.org. You know, as we were talking with our guest on this episode of GPS, Bart Millard, I was struck by how many people he acknowledged along his journey of faith. He's very aware of the people that God has used in his life. But he also talked about a very important person along his dad's journey of faith. Her name is Jerry, and she and Bart's dad dated for the last few years of his life. He didn't want to marry her knowing that he was going to die. She was probably the biggest godly, godly influence in his life during that time. She was an amazing woman. And, uh, and you know, the nights that I didn't want to have anything to do with him were the, when I got my license and was nowhere to be found to stay away from him. She was there like, you know, you've got to make this right. Yeah, she just poured into him for 
all those years. It wasn't like any one thing. It was just like she never left him. Like, and his, on his worst time, she was there with him, and she was such a godly woman. We want to thank Bart Millard for taking the time to talk with us. In fact, we ended up spending twice as much time together as we had originally planned. So that just presents a fabulous opportunity to make this a two-part episode. So a thank you for listening to installment number uno. And we think you'll be wanting to be back with us for the next one as well. I'm Jim Kirkland. And I'm Phil Fleischman. Also, don't forget about the new movie that was just released about Bart's life. It's got the same title as Mercy Me's huge hit, I Can Only Imagine. And finally, we want to say thank you to the producer of this episode of GPS, Josh Batson. GPS, God, People, Stories. It's an outreach of the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association. Always good news. Good news.